Hello and welcome to the podcast of Britain Christian Church. We exist to be a lighthouse of hope to our community in OKC. Now, here's Pastor Mike. We took a long look at that, that phrase, the inexpressible and glorious joy that is a gift from God for those who are followers of Jesus. This indescribable joy, it is not the result of happy days or good fortune or something that you and I have done, but it is the result of the salvation that God has freely given to us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That word salvation, that word is an irritating word to a growing number of people today because they just don't feel like they need saving. They believe that they are doing quite well on their own. Other people may need Jesus, but they are very capable of taking care of themselves. Another reason why the idea of salvation is irritating or offensive to many people is because the vast majority of people today believe that they are good at heart. They're basically good people, not irreparably marred by sin, even though they would never claim to be perfect, and certainly not sinners who are opposed to God at the very core of their being. Because of beliefs like that, people tend to get offended when they hear that the Bible declares that we are hopeless sinners who are absolutely powerless to do anything on our own to make ourselves acceptable to God. In our scripture for this morning, we're going to take a long look at salvation and learn some eye-opening truths that Peter lays out for the chosen exiles who were scattered and living under Roman rule. These truths that we're going to learn this morning They are equally applicable and powerful for you chosen exiles who are living here in Oklahoma City under the United States of America. Before we jump into our scripture for this morning, though, I want to backtrack just for a moment. We have to remember and constantly be reminded that those who received this letter from Peter, the very first group, their life was very uncertain. They were persecuted because of their love for Jesus. They were outcast in their own community, and life was difficult. In verses 3 through 5, Peter reminded them of the greatness and the absolute certainty of their future inheritance that was in Christ. They had been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then in the next verses, in verses 6 through 9, Peter taught them that their salvation, their new life in Christ, resulted in this inexpressible and glorious joy that's not caused by good fortune, and it can never be diminished because of the fiery trials that we go through in life. Right after Peter tells them about that, he focuses on their salvation. I want to back up to verse 8 so that you can see how Peter flows from this inexpressible and glorious joy that is a result of their coming to know Christ, their salvation, into what he has to teach us this morning. So look at verse 8 with me. Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible 
and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. You see, folks, when you and I understand what God has done for us in Jesus, if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, you may very well not understand. And that's why I'm praying that this morning that eyes would be open, that hearts would be melted, and that we would all realize what God has done for us in Jesus. He has saved us by his grace. He has cleansed us from the sin that separates us from God. And he gives us the assurance that he will return one day. He will come back for his people when we understand that, how could we not be filled with the glorious, inexpressible joy? Amen? In verses 10 through 12, I want you to look at it once again in your Bible. Open your Bible and look at verses 10 through 12. After Peter talks about that inexpressible and glorious joy, he stops for a moment to shine a spotlight on the glory of God's salvation for those that were going through very, very difficult trials in life. I don't think there is anybody here this morning who would call themselves privileged when they are going through experiences of pain and sorrow, persecution and heartache in life. As you go through those fiery trials, you would never characterize yourself as privileged. And that is why our scripture for this morning is so very important for you and me not only to read but to look at long and hard, to look at intently, so that we can take into our hearts this most important truth from God. So look at verses 10 and 11 one more time. <clears throat> Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Peter points out that the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Micah and Jonah, they spoke of the grace that was to come to you. The grace that was to come to those scattered exiles living under the Roman Empire and the grace that was to come to you and me. There's a couple of very interesting things that I want to point out for you to consider about these prophets. All of the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, they lived long, long hundreds of years before any of the people who were living in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, or Asia were ever even born. And yet Peter says that all of the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come, future, to you, 
Peter writes that these prophets, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to know the circumstances and the time of the coming of the Messiah, his sufferings and the glories that would follow. Folks, that is a most incredible statement when you really stop to consider it. If you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you will notice that they speak about a redeemer, someone who will come to save us. They knew that it would happen because God gave them that very message, but they didn't know when. And in the words of Peter, they didn't know the times or the circumstances of which they were speaking. So what were they to do? What did they do? Well, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to understand and learn more and more about this deliverer that God would send one day. They knew that he would suffer. They knew that his glory would follow, but they didn't know the full story of how all of this would unfold and how God would work through this Messiah. We can learn a piece, a piece of the deliverer's story from the prophet Micah, If you'll look at Micah chapter 5, let's start reading in verse 2. Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So the deliverer would be born in Bethlehem. I don't know how much you know about Bethlehem, but in Micah's day, in New Testament days, even in our day today, Bethlehem is still there. You can go visit it. It is a nothing of a little village, a small nothing of a village in Micah's day. If we were going to pick a place, any place on the face of the planet where we would have the deliverer, the Savior be born, it would have to be some great city of the world. And yet God chose to bring forth his Redeemer from a place that nobody would even consider, from a place that nobody even cared about. The Deliverer's origins were from of old, from ancient times. Did you see that? The Bible teaches that Jesus was God incarnate, that in Jesus, God emptied himself of his Godhead and he became one of us to give his life his sinless life for you and for me. Also, if we were going to raise up a mighty deliverer, if we formed a committee here at the church and said, hey, let's create this ultimate deliverer, that person would look more like a Hollywood superhero than he would a suffering Savior. And yet we read in Psalm 22, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. 
They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Did any of the descriptions that I just read to you from Psalm 22, they ring a bell? Do they remind you of anyone? My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. As Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is the very description of how they nailed Jesus to the cross. They drove spikes through his hands and through his feet. Let me give you one more phrase. It's not in the scripture that we read from Psalm 22. Yet this is, it's back in verse 1. The very first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Those words were written by King David who lived about 1000 BC. Remember that number? Most people believe that King Darius of Persia is the one that first used crucifixion to punish his enemies and that he did that about 519 B.C., 519 years before Jesus. Jesus wasn't born for almost a thousand years after David wrote Psalm 22. David could not have understood all of the details and all of the implications of those words that he wrote. But he did understand that God was going to send a Savior and that Savior would suffer to save his people. David may not have had a full understanding of what he was writing, but you and I do because we know that Jesus hung on the cross. And Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in Aramaic? The idea of a suffering Savior made no sense at all to people who were suffering themselves and looking for a gladiator-like conqueror who would come in and defeat all of their enemies. But through the prophets, through all of the prophets, God described his anointing one, his coming deliverer as one who would suffer. The Lord gave Isaiah the clearest picture of this suffering servant king. In Isaiah 53, let me give you a little background. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah 53 so that when I finish giving you this background, we can all read it together. Every Sabbath, the Jews gather together and they have a reading from the Torah. Every Sabbath. After that reading of the Torah, one of the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, after the reading of the Torah, they have a reading from the Haftorah which is a reading from the prophets. And for many, many, many years, the prophet Isaiah was part of the reading of the Haftarah. They, they read throughout the year. But somewhere along the way, the, the chapter 53 was taken out. They read the rest of Isaiah, but they have removed, the rabbis removed Isaiah 53. What is it about Isaiah 53 that led to the rabbis taking out this important chapter? Well, in Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah writes about the Messiah. He writes that he would be rejected by his people, that he would suffer and die, that his suffering and his death would be an atonement, not for his sin, but for the sins of his people, and that God would raise him from the dead. 
according to Eitan Barr, who is an Israeli Bible scholar and a Messianic Jew. He's a Jewish man who believes that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. He says that, that Isaiah 53 caused such arguments and confusion for the rabbis that they took it out. So when the Jews read today the Haftarah every Sabbath in their synagogues, they will never read the chapter you and I are getting ready to read right now. They read Isaiah 52, one Sabbath day, and the next Sabbath they read Isaiah 54. Eitan Barr calls this the forbidden chapter. Let's read together beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Remember, this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was Yahweh's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though Yahweh makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of Yahweh will prosper in his life. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When Connie and I were in Plano, Texas, uh, working with Dr. Darnell, one day there was a Jewish man in Plano, a Jewish doctor, who heard that there was a Gentile pastor in Plano who knew Hebrew better than any Jew in Plano. And so this Jewish doctor said, I want to meet this guy. He found out about First Christian Church in Plano. He called the office. He talked to Dr. Darnell, and Dr. Darnell said, I love the Hebrew Bible. And the man said, can I come and meet you? So the doctor came. 
they sat down in David's office. They talked about the Hebrew language. They talked about the Jewish people and their history. And the doctor said, I would love to read the Bible with you if you would be willing to read my Bible with me in Hebrew. David said, I would love that. What would you like to read? The doctor said, let's read the prophet Isaiah. So the next week, they came, the doctor came to David's office, and every week they would read a chapter, they would talk about it for a little while, and then the doctor would leave. Well, they made their way to Isaiah 53. And after they read Isaiah 53, David said, who do you think the prophet's speaking about? The doctor kicked around some ideas. David shared what he thought. And then their time was up and the doctor left. They got together the next week to read Isaiah 54. But a few weeks later, the doctor showed up at David's office. And he had a wooden carving of an eagle. On the nameplate, it had Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not become faint. And David said, what is this? And he said, it's my gift to you. I want to thank you. It's because of you that I now know who Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 53. It's because of you that I now know that Jesus is God's Messiah. And Jesus is my Messiah. Amen. Mm. There's something unique about this suffering Messiah. And we learn it in verse 5 in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced, read this with me, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Did you hear that? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God, that punishment was placed on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, God's Messiah, suffered and died, not because of anything that he had done. He lived a sinless life. But he willingly took on your sin and my sin. And he offered his life as an atonement sacrifice so that you and I could be reconciled to God the Father. Let me tell you, I have known that truth for years and years now. And yet every time I read Isaiah 55, I get chill, or Isaiah 53, I get chills. Overwhelmed with gratitude and humbled to bury my face in the carpet for what God has done. I want us to go back to 1 Peter 1.10 just for a moment. Because Peter says... Concerning the salvation, and then he writes about the prophets who spoke about the grace that was to come to you. The way we understand the word grace and the biblical definition of grace are worlds apart. And I'm assuming, I mean, some of you come from other parts of the world, but I'm just assuming that as people, we have a human understanding of grace that is quite different from the biblical definition of grace. When we think of grace, we think of doing something kind to someone. I heard someone describing biblical grace this past week like this. He said, grace is not giving the homeless man on the street corner some money. 
That is called empathy or generosity. Grace, according to the Bible, would look more like this. Let's say there is a man who has attacked you. He has stolen from you. He has smeared your name all over town. And he desires nothing more than your demise and your destruction. And so you, you set out to find this man. And when you find him, instead of giving him what he deserves, you bring him into your home and you make him part of your family. That's insane. There's none of us, none of us that would ever even consider doing something like that, but that is exactly the grace that God has extended to you and me through offering his son's sinless life for our sinful lives. Paul put it this way in his letter to the church in Rome. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Well, we were in rebellion against God, mocking God, thumbing our nose at God. God did the unimaginable. He sent his son to pay what we owed that we could never pay in a million lifetimes so that we might have the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father. God unlocked that door of reconciliation, not us. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the door has been opened for you and me. All people across all of the world. All of those who would become a follower of Jesus. Have you ever read the book Les Miserables? It was written by a man named Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo was from France, and he wrote that book in 1862. 1862. The book has been turned into movies and plays and musicals that people have watched and enjoyed from all over the world. As a matter of fact, you could get on a plane this evening and fly to New York City and pick up some tickets to see Les Miserables on Broadway tomorrow night. 150 years later, after Victor Hugo first wrote that book, there is a reason, there's a reason why Victor Hugo's story has resonated with people for over 150 years. In the story, Jean Valjean was released from prison. He had done 19 years of hard labor because he had broken a window pane to steal a loaf of bread for his sister's daughter who was on the verge of dying from starvation. 19 years. And when he was released from prison, Javert, the prison official, reminded him, you will never be anything more than a felon, nothing more than number 24601 to the state, as he handed his in papers and sent him out into the street. Well, Jean Valjean was looking forward to beginning his new life. But it wasn't long that Javert's words began to echo in his mind. 
is everywhere he went to try and find help, everywhere he turned to try to get a job, everybody rejected him. He was an outcast in his community. No one would take him in. And then Jean Valjean's heart was growing bitter and hard, more bitter and more hard by the day. One day he went to the bishop's house and he knocked on the door. The bishop was a kind old man who had been a a Christian priest and was promoted through the years until now. He was the bishop of the church. The bishop opened his door and there was Jean Valjean. He offered to come on in. He gave him a meal of bread and wine and told him he could stay at his place. In the musical, Jean Valjean sings, you are good, you do not despise me. You take me into your house. You light your candles for me. And I have not hid from you where I am from and how miserable I am. And in response, the bishop responded by saying, You need not tell me who you are. This is not my house. This is the house of Christ. It does not ask any comer whether he has a name, but whether he has an affliction. You are suffering. You are hungry. You are thirsty. Be welcome. My name, your name, is my brother. Well, the next morning when the bishop woke up, the bishop learned that Jean Valjean had left in the middle of the night and he had left with all of his silverware. During the day, the police see Jean Valjean. He looks suspicious. And so the police go over and start questioning. He's very nervous, uneasy, and not at rest. And so the police pat him down. And when they pat him down, they find all of the bishop's silverware. They say, where did you get this? He said, I spent the night at the bishop's house, and he gave it all to me. The police said, let's go. We're going to check your story. So they march Jean Valjean over to the bishop's house. They knock on the door. The bishop peers out. And, and, and the police are expecting the bishop to confirm their story that Jean Valjean is guilty and he must go back to prison. But when the knock comes to the door, the bishop swings the door open with his arms open wide and says, Ah, here you are, he exclaimed, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm so glad to see you. Well, but how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too which are of silver like the rest, and for which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with your forks and spoons, Jean Valjean? And Jean Valjean opened his eyes wide, and he stared at the venerable bishop with an expression which no human tongue can render any account of. You see, The look on Jean Valjean's face when he encountered grace is the same look that should come across all of our faces. When we encounter the grace of our Lord and Savior who has flung open wide the doors of salvation and with a big smile on his face holds his arms open for people like you and people like me. Sinners who are deserving of God's wrath and so undeserving of his grace. After the police questioned the bishop, are you sure this is not the man? Are you sure that this man did not steal your silverware instead of you giving it to him? The bishop looked at Jean Valjean and said, now go in peace. And by the way, when you return, my friend, 
It is not necessary to pass through the garden. You can always enter and depart through the street door. It is never fastened with anything but a latch, either day or by night. Make yourself at home. Now that, my friend, is the grace of God. Grace is found in Jesus and what he has done for people like you and people like me. The glorious grace of salvation that God has bought, paid for through the blood of his own son, which unlocks the prison doors that you and I have experienced until we come to know the freedom that is found only in Jesus. And a freedom which the prophets long to understand. Can I share with you just one more piece of the mystery which the prophets so long to proclaim of the salvation of God and this suffering Messiah? You see, God called the Jews to be his chosen people. But they misunderstood what that would look like in the living out of their calling day in and day out in life. They ended up thinking that being God's chosen people set them above the rest of humanity when in actuality God had chosen them to be his chosen people to go and invade the world with the good news of God's coming Messiah. A plan of God's for all of humanity. In Isaiah 49, verses 6 and 7, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah about what his Messiah would accomplish. Listen to this. Is it too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The Messiah, God's deliverer, would not just be for the Jews, but he would be a light for the Gentiles, that God's salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. I can remember talking to some of my Chinese brothers and sisters that are here when we first started doing Alpha in Chinese. They told me that growing up in China, um, some of them were taught that Jesus was an American God, not a God for the Chinese. The Chinese, the, the nation of China is an, officially an atheistic nation. There's about 10% of the population in China who are Buddhist and about 1% who are Christians, but the official government stance is, we believe in no God. How could the Chinese people be led to believe that Jesus is an American God when we just read that God would make him a light to the Gentiles? Well, it's because the Chinese people were not allowed to read the scripture you and I just read. God made Jesus a light to the Gentiles. It's interesting in our day, there are all these different people groups. But in biblical times, there were two groups. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And so this morning, whether you are from America or China or Afghanistan 
or Venezuela or Mexico. This morning in the early service, there was a new couple who had never been here before from Haiti. There was another couple from Colombia. There was a man from Venezuela. I'm from Duncan. (laughs) But you know what that makes all of us? Gentiles. If you are not Jewish, you are Gentile. I really like that designation much better than what we have in our day. It simplifies things. God made Jesus a light to the Gentiles. Not Jesus some kind of tribal savior for the Jews, but Jesus is the light of the world. If you are here this morning and you're not Jewish, you are Gentile, and Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. We're out of time, but I, I want you to think about something before we go. Do you realize that what we have just been talking about for these last few minutes, it is what Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they long to understand. The prophets studied one another. You can read in Daniel where Daniel was going through Jeremiah trying to learn more and more about this Messiah, who he would be, where he would come from, when he would arrive, and here we are. Those of us who live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, here we are. The most privileged of any generation that has ever lived in the history of the world. We understand. We understand. Jesus is the light of the world. Not just the light of America. Jesus is the light of the world. And if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know that beautiful picture of the bishop's arms wide for Jean Valjean can't even begin to touch the glorious vision of our Savior's arms open wide for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, won't you come? Join me at the front. Give me your hand as you give Jesus your heart. If you're here this morning, you're looking for a church home, a place where you can plug in with other brothers and sisters in Christ and grow in your relationship with the Lord, please come. We will welcome you with open arms as we stand to sing this song of invitation. Won't you come? Thanks for listening today. You can watch past sermons on our YouTube channel at Britain Church. We would love to see you on Sunday morning for one of our services at 8.30 or 10.40. Have a great week.